You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. FXMSP may have breached three antivirus companies, U.S. CERT and CISA warn against a new North Korean malware tool being used by Hidden Cobra. They're calling it Electric Fish. A changing of the guard at Symantec? Former Facebook insiders call for breaking up the company and for more regulation. Facebook disagrees about the breakup but says it likes the idea of regulation. Verizon's head of security research joins us to discuss this year's DBIR. Two indictments are unsealed, one for leaking classified information, the other for the anthem breach. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 10th, 2019. Reports broke late yesterday that a criminal group, FXMSP, well known for selling access to data breaches, had successfully penetrated at least three antivirus companies. Researchers at the firm Advanced Intelligence say that FXMSP had stolen source code for antivirus agents, analytic code based on machine learning, and security plugins for web browsers. Not only was the code stolen, but FXMSP also offered reviews of the quality of different vendors' security products. Advintel has notified the affected companies and law enforcement authorities, but they're keeping the identities of the firms whose code was stolen quiet. FXMSP is an interesting group. It's described as Russian-speaking and English-speaking, which either says something about its members' countries of origin or about their skill with languages, or their skill at repurposing Anglophone and Russophone code. U.S. CERT and CISA have new warnings out concerning the North Korean threat actor Hidden Cobra. Pyongyang's attack group is deploying a piece of malware U.S. CERT is calling Electric Fish. Electric Fish uses a custom protocol to funnel traffic between a source and destination IP address. A funneling session can be initiated from either side. Electric Fish can be configured with a proxy server port and proxy username and password, which enables it to connect to a system inside a proxy server. This allows attackers to bypass required authentication in compromised systems. For more details, see the report at uscert.gov. The prominent security company Symantec will be getting a new CEO. President, CEO, and board member Greg Clark has stepped down from all of those roles. 
Board member Richard Hill, former Novella Systems chairman and CEO, will serve as interim CEO as the search for a permanent replacement begins. Clark, formerly CEO of Bluecoat, moved into the same position at Symantec when Symantec acquired Bluecoat in 2016. His resignation was prompted by shareholder dissatisfaction, an accounting probe, and a significant earnings miss. Facebook's co-founder, Chris Hughes, who goes way back with Mark Zuckerberg, back to when they were undergrads at Harvard, published an op-ed in the New York Times yesterday in which he advocated breaking up Facebook. Mr. Zuckerberg is still a great guy, Mr. Hughes writes, but the company is too powerful. Mr. Zuckerberg's properties, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, have billions of users. The company is publicly traded, but with 60% of the voting shares in Mr. Zuckerberg's hands, other voices inside Facebook, including those of the board, are merely advisory. As Hughes puts it, quote, Mark alone can decide how to configure Facebook's algorithms to determine what people see in their news feeds, what privacy settings they can use, and even which messages get delivered. He sets the rules for how to distinguish violent and incendiary speech from the merely offensive, and he can choose to shut down a competitor by acquiring, blocking, or copying it. End quote. It's a very long piece, but in essence, Hughes argues that Facebook should be broken up under the Sherman Antitrust Act, the way Standard Oil was broken up at the turn of the 20th century, and the way AT&T was broken into the baby bells in January of 1984. This sort of market correction is all that Hughes advocates. He wants a number of other things, too, including a U.S. privacy agency with the power to not only protect the privacy of individuals' data, but also to regulate their speech— He acknowledges the First Amendment issues here, but deals with them airily by assimilating speech people view as hateful or harassing to such exceptions to constitutional guarantees of free speech as prohibitions against shouting fire in a crowded theater. It's unlikely to be an easy case to make. Indeed, Facebook, Google, and Twitter are already under considerable criticism for what many perceive as ideological bias. But in any case, Hughes wants the company broken up, and he wants public servants and not corporations to lay down the guidelines for acceptable speech he sees as inevitable. Hughes is not the only Facebook former insider to look upon their economic child with dismay. Last month, one of the company's early investors, venture capitalist Roger McNamee, published his book, Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. McNamee, who not only provided funds but also served as a mentor to the young Mark Zuckerberg, now feels that the social network's dependence on advertising was its original sin, and that it eventually became almost addictive, pushing the most lurid content it could to keep users engaged and on the platform. Facebook, needless to say, disagrees. They released a statement that reads, quote, "...Facebook accepts that with success comes accountability." but you don't enforce accountability by calling for the breakup of a successful American company. Accountability of tech companies can only be achieved through the painstaking introduction of new rules for the Internet. That is exactly what Mark Zuckerberg has called for. Indeed, he is meeting government leaders this week to further that work. End quote. That statement came from Nick Clegg, who you may remember from his career in British politics, and who is now Facebook's Vice President of Global Affairs and Communications. So in essence, it seems everybody wants more government oversight, and more government oversight everybody will no doubt get. That oversight will be international, 
The French government has just announced its intention to introduce legislation that would create a duty of care for social media, with regulatory scrutiny and heavy fines for those that permit objectionable content to cross their platforms. For all of the attention Facebook has attracted lately, it does appear that the social network is on the right track in setting its face against what it calls inauthenticity, especially coordinated inauthenticity, the kind of bot herding and trolling the Russian government has so vigorously deployed in its information operations around the world. Those information operations are continuing in Ukraine, Kiev complains, even though that country's elections have concluded. Several significant legal actions have been announced. Daniel Everett Hale, 31, of Nashville, Tennessee, was arrested yesterday on U.S. federal charges of obtaining and disclosing national defense information and theft of government property. Hale worked as an intelligence analyst for the U.S. Air Force and, after leaving the service, performed similar duties as a contractor for the National Geospatial Agency. The government alleges that Hale provided highly classified information to a reporter over a period of several years, beginning in 2013. And you'll recall the very large Anthem breach of 2015, in which the health insurance company was breached in an incident that affected the personal data of nearly 80 million people. The U.S. Justice Department says it knows who's responsible, a highly sophisticated Chinese group. Two Chinese nationals have been indicted, Fujai Wang, also known as Dennis Wang, and a John Doe who went by the name Daniel Jack, Kim Young, and Zhao Jinghong. The indictment says they also breached three other U.S. companies. The document calls these simply Victim Businesses 1, 2, and 3, but it does identify them by sector, respectively technology, basic materials, and communications. The defendants are of course still at large and in China, probably in Shenzhen, and are unlikely to appear in a U.S. court unless Wanderlust takes them abroad. We hear Vancouver's beautiful this time of year. Come for the shopping and fishing, stay for the extradition hearing. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. 
This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research for the Sands Institute, and he's also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's great to have you back. Um, You've been tracking uh, some malware that's been taking advantage of uh, some tools from Google. What's going on here? Yeah, and uh, what this malware is doing is it's written in Go or Golang. Uh, That's a language that Google came out with. It's a pretty neat language. A lot of developers like it. It's I believe sort of one of the top growing languages. And what's really neat about it is it's very easy to write multi-threaded software. It's also easy to write network connected software. And in particular, the second part is of course something that malware authors like too. So we do actually see more and more malware being written in Go. And so what are the ramifications of that? Well, uh, first of all, there aren't really a lot of tools to reverse uh, this malware. So malware analysts, uh, they're used to analyzing malware that's sort of, you know, compiled uh, Visual Basic or so we have a lot of that stuff, of course, around and uh, various C and C++ or .NET. But uh, so far, Go is sort of this odd language uh, where it's really sort of hard to find good tools to reverse it. Once you have the tools, uh, it's actually not that difficult, uh, not that much more difficult than other languages, uh, but uh, that's sort of part of it. The other consequence of it is that this malware is actually pretty big because uh, they have to deliver basically Go as well as the the malware. So they have to deliver a lot of additional libraries and such, uh, but oddly enough, that doesn't seem to hinder the distribution of this malware, even though it's usually like several megabytes in size. Hmm. Now, what's the upside for the malware developers to be working in this environment? For the developer, it's much easier to actually code all the different network components that you need. And uh, like connecting back to a command control server or even setting up a server. That's actually probably the biggest strength of Go is uh, it's very easy to write little servers. That's also where the multi-threading comes in. What this allows you to do is have one server that responds to multiple uh, connection requests at the same time. So if you want to write, let's say, an SH server, a web server with a couple lines of code, then Go is sort of the the language or the go-to language uh, to really use uh, in in these cases. And and so, as always, I mean, in terms of folks protecting themselves uh, here, uh, what do you recommend? Well, antivirus should catch up with this. Of course, they will not uh, trigger just on Go itself because that's a legitimate language and you find a lot of legitimate software being coded in it as well. Uh, but, uh, of course, that's the usual catch and mouse, cat, cat and mouse game uh, with uh, anti-malware where they have to get used to writing signatures for malware written in Go. All right. Well, it's something to keep an eye on. Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. The 12th annual Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report was released this week, and my guest today is one of the report's co-authors. Alex Pinto is head of Verizon Security Research. So the DDIR is in its 12th year right now, right? We, we're joking that it's going to be a teenager next year and hope it doesn't give us too much trouble. This year we're working with 73 different partners. So take us through, what was your approach to this year's report? 
the report kind of writes itself, right? We're actually collecting the data and then the data will tell us what are the important subjects, what are the important things that are happening that we should be talking about, right? And this year was no exception. Really, the, most of the narrative that we can craft from this year's report has to do with uh, attackers going for not only what's easiest, but also what's more valuable for them, mm. right? So we saw two of the most significant shifts that we saw, which are in a way headlining our key findings notifications, are about C-level executives being more frequently breached by social attacks. And by social attacks, I mean, the biggest representative of those are phishing because of the fact that, you know what, those individuals probably have the most valuable information or hold the most interesting power to get whatever the, the evildoers want there, right? This was associated with a continuous increase we have been seeing over the years with the business email compromises, right, the BECs. We actually see things which go beyond email, which also, quote-unquote, hey, can you please send me the money? And then, for some reason, people just send the money, right? <laughs> right and, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sad, right? It talks a lot to how much work, there's always continuous vigilance that's needed and how much work needs to be done on actually doing the proper security awareness work, right? So mm -hmm. it's interesting because that's kind of like bad news-ish as far as, oh, yeah, people are wiring money to strangers right. on request. But on the other hand, uh, we saw that the old practice of sending W-2s via email as well. So people, instead of asking for money, they ask for, oh, can you give me the employee record of such and such for tax return fraud or things like that? We saw it go significantly down, right? We're not entirely sure why. We, we asked our, all our contributors that used to give us this data, and they said, no, no, it's really gone. We haven't seen it anywhere. So we're really believing that, well, it happened a lot, so people got smart, put some policies in, right? And it's not happening as much now. And we can hope that by bringing awareness to the C-level and the, the business email account compromise, this is also something that uh, policy writers and... Uh, security awareness folks can, can focus on. What are some of the key take-homes for folks who are trying to uh, plan out their own strategies? What can they learn from this year's report? So uh, one of the other big shifts that we saw is around the use of the cloud, which again, shouldn't be surprising anyone. My take is that it looks like most of the, most of the people who haven't are starting to get the memo that they should be going to the cloud, hmm. right? So there were two things that we saw a relatively sharp increase this year right, which is tied to cloud usage. First of all is that we saw a three times increase on compromises of cloud-based email uh, accounts. We're talking here about, we classify on the report as use of stolen credentials. And this is a little bit of conjecture, right? This doesn't mean that cloud-based emails are more insecure than your traditional run-of-the-mill uh, host them inside, right, the, the on-prem solution. But because they're always available, there's always the web option. It just becomes easier, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit more low-hanging fruit for if you have compromised some sort of credential to try it over there, right? Most of the times, the, the company itself is not monitoring, right? It will be the cloud provider that's monitoring, and they have to be a little bit permissive, at least if you're trying a few times. One other cloud-based interesting shift to the cloud story, it, this has been growing a little bit over the years, but there was another sharp increase this year. Uh, on the number of records leaked through misconfiguration of cloud-based storage. So think about your favorite cloud-based platform as a service provider. They will have an option where you can just post files online. Some people are leaving them open, 
for public consumption, right? And there's a lot that we had. We tracked over 60 million different records of multiple sources, multiple organizations that were leaked this way. Just because someone failed to press the keep this private checkbox could potentially have been easily avoided, right? Yeah. There was no work on anybody's part. There was no... No hacking, no zero day, no nothing involved. Just just a plain misconfiguration. It was interesting to me reading through the report that it seemed as though uh, crypto jacking had really fallen off the radar. Is that accurate? So yes, it's important to understand the the specifics around that statement, right? Because we're specifically talking about malware, mm. right? So we don't have a measurement on websites hosting crypto jacking JavaScript. We don't have a measure of, uh, we do have, but it's not tracked there, of, oh, somebody's cloud-based account was hijacked and somebody just spun up a bunch of servers and are mining your favorite cryptocurrency there, right? Mm -hmm. We're specifically talking about malware whose functionality ties into crypto mining, right? So a piece of malware is installed and one of the things it does is mine cryptocurrency for you, right? And we saw that that just doesn't happen. It's way more profitable. It's way makes way more sense to just go and uh, and put some ransomware in. It's way more profitable, so to speak. Were there any surprises this year? Things that popped up that you weren't expecting? So the one the one that was most surprising was the human resources story. Right? Mm. We're not really used for things getting in a way fixed so quickly, if you know what I mean. Uh. So the fact that it really seems that this was a trend and it was happening, and suddenly it's, it's, it's way less of a trend, right, gives us hope that it's something that people are doing a good job. One of the other interesting ones, not it was surprising in a good way, is some of the research that we've done with some of the data that the FBI provided us, the FBI IC3, mm-hmm. which was specifically about the great work that they do on business email compromise return, getting the, the money back. According to their data, over half of companies where they contacted, half of US, US-based organizations that contacted them, as can you assist us get the money back? They were able to either retrieve or freeze 99% of that money for half of those companies. So it really ties into, well, something bad happened. What should I do next? It's really good to hear, surprising in a very good way, of how successful they have been in trying to counteract uh, those kinds of attacks. Well, I I have to uh, say my hat's off to you. It's uh, Not only is there a lot of interesting information in there, it's actually a fun read, which uh, you don't get to say about every report in this this industry, and uh, lots of pop culture references and uh, and fun things like that throughout. So uh, congratulations to you and your team uh, on a job well done. Thank you. The team is is really incredible. Uh, the core team that we have doing the report, some of those people have been with us since the beginning, right? From twelve years. It's really fantastic to see. To see, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie, but it's really <laughs> fantastic to see uh, the report getting done. How much care the team puts into making sure that not only it is a good report, right? Not only, like you said, it's fun to read, it's accessible, but that it's accurate and we can vary clearly represent in a fair way and in a in a co- as correct as possible right the data that those contributors have been provides us they're all volunteers right yeah and uh, they provide us anonymized data to do this work if anyone who's listening right would, would is interested about this believe they have data that they could contribute to, especially law enforcement especially 
security vendors, please reach out to us. We're, we're not hard to find on Twitter. We would love to, to work with you to make this report even better next year. That is Alex Pinto. He is one of the authors of the Verizon DBIR, the Data Breach Investigation Report for 2019. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.